Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is. We are just moments away from tasting a beautiful bottle of the Burgundy Grape here on the Two Sharp Reds. Of course, myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, Arnold Schwarzer, like to taste a bottle of Burgundy Grape. We love our red wine here on the Two Sharp Reds. And then compare that bottle to a player, past or present. And I'm just looking at the great man, Mark shorts are right now and you look excited because i know that you've got one day left in quarantine and then you're a free man mark you can do whatever you want i will be a free man can't wait for it it's been well yeah we're there 13 days in well, 14 this is my 14th day in quarantine you're right so as of tomorrow i am free um my wife's already booked um various appointments various yes. gatherings with her girlfriends um i've just got no friends so i've got nothing booked at this point in time well, well, I was going to say, what's the first thing you're going to do? And it can't be just sit on the couch. Why not? Yeah, no, because you've been doing that for 14 days. Well, and all the time you've been in Spain, in fairness. I can't just sit on the couch. Sit on the couch and watch a Netflix series or whatever, you know, watch a bit of sport that's been on, of course. But no, no I, I go outside quite a lot. I'm, I like to be outside. Regardless of the weather conditions, I like to do stuff in my garden. I like to do all different sorts of stuff. Veggie patch. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm outside quite a lot. Yesterday, I ran in the, in the Swiss Alps. I ran in Zermatt. Um, Ooh, beautiful. And, uh, I, and that was just in the, in the village of Zermatt. So, and today, I'm running as we start to uh, start our climb uh, up to the Matterhorn. Okay, Mark, uh, let's get stuck into the wine before we get stuck into the football. I've uh, selected a specially selected chili uh, Pinot Noir from Chile. It made it sound like it was a chili Pinot which would be a, a very interesting combination. But it's, uh, yeah, with, made with Chilean uh, Pinot Noir grapes cooled by the Pacific Ocean wind. Uh, it's a very elegant red with subtle textures, floral and violet tones, followed by red fruit aromas. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought you may have worn the right shirt to match those floral descriptions. You're right. You, you certainly do have a floral number, number in your wardrobe, don't you? Uh, look at me. Come on. Yeah, of course. We don't even need to make the joke. That's like uh, confirmed. No, but I'm yeah. looking forward to it. I quite like a chili. Uh, t- I, I like the idea of a chili wine, though. I think that might be something we could look into in the future. Oh, no, I've had many, many Chilean wines. Uh, Chilean. Chilean? Chilean, Chilean I think. Wines, yeah. No, I, I, I do very much like them. And the Pinot Noirs are generally very, very nice. I have to say, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, but, you know, saying that, I'm, I'm going for, of course, I'm going to keep the, the trend going. I'm sticking with my Spanish wine. It's a Casa de Duque. Duque? Duque. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2016. And um, it, uh, it sounds really great. Big, juicy, flavoured, pack red, brimming with dark fruit, spices and notes of wild berries. Um, 
aging in French and American oak barrels. Now, compared to last week, though, last week you had a badge on yours, which suggests a beautiful bottle of wine. So I yeah. think you've gone worse in, in quality or equal? No, not at all. No, last week was nice. I have to say it was very nice. And I, as you can see, this bottle's already had a bit drunk out of it. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's, it's a very tasty wine. It's, again, nice, typical red, meaty, juicy wine, full-bodied. Very enjoyable. Okay, Mark, let's start talking about the football. Plenty to discuss, even when there's been no Premier League action on. Last time we did uh, the show, Two Sharp Reds, it was on transfer deadline day. So, of course, we've had a week of, of uh, just seeing what's happened in the last day of the transfer window. We've also had Nations League. That's been fascinating. But the th- big thing we need to talk about is the project big picture proposals. Now, I want you to, to dissect and unpack but I will just run through a few of the dot points uh, here on Project Big Picture uh, if you've not heard about it yet. So the proposals are that the Premier League would cut from 20 to 18 clubs with the Championship, League One and League Two, each then retaining 24 teams. The bottom two teams in the Premier League would be relegated automatically with the 16th place team joining the Championship playoffs. The League Cup and Community Shield would be abolished. uh, Parachute payments scrapped. A £250 million rescue fund made immediately available to EFL and 25% of all future TV deals. £100 million paid to the FA to make up for lost revenue. And nine clubs given special voting rights on certain issues based on their extended runs in the Premier League. So there'd be a lot of changes. But Mark, as soon as you read this and saw it, what were your initial reactions? Uh, my initial reactions were that there's some good points in there. I mean, that 250 million uh, fund, special fund to, to the football league is is a must, um, and, and it's it, it's getting to a point where it's it, it's uh, if it doesn't happen soon, it's going to become critical. I think the proposal of 25 percent of future revenue TV revenue deals uh, towards the EFL clubs is is also fantastic. Um, the, the worrying, the biggest worry for me is the reducing of the number of teams that uh, have a vote, have a say within the league. Uh, at the moment, there's 14, uh, they only need a majority of 14 out of the 20 clubs. Reducing the number of teams from 20 down to 18 in the Premier League is also, for me, a big concern. Um, maybe, maybe not a concern for, for the likes of the big six, because what it'll do, it'll allow more European games to be played, which is then more revenue being able to generate. And that's, I think, the bigger picture. I think the bigger clubs are looking uh, are looking at this with the view of playing more European games. It's edging towards this European elite Super League kind of competition that's able to almost run, uh, well, run in conjunction with the domestic leagues um, to, to reduce the number of teams to vote down to, to nine, um, which I have to say as well, they only need a six uh, to nine vote, so six to three votes, sorry, to, yep. to pass anything. And that would mean that the big six could then decide if they want to join forces and vote on anything major they're allowed to vote on uh, for their own benefit. And that's a worry. I think whenever you reduce the amount of teams that have a, have a say in a, in, a, in a competition, that's a big worry. Um, and that's my worry. Let's, let's, let's bring the, bring the uh, comparison down a little bit of a notch and say, well, that's my worry with the A-League. I think there's five or six teams that have a place on the, the voting committee from the A-League clubs, and that's a worry. 
Um, when you allow a certain number of teams um, an opportunity to, to have final says, the tendency, I think, in human nature is to, to first and foremost worry about your own um, future rather than the good possibly, maybe the good of the actual overall league in the game. I think the Premier League, is it's vital that the competition uh, remains as it is. So meaning that the share of revenue is as it is, the number of games in terms of or teams in the league, if you reduce the number of teams from 20 down to 18, that will be lost revenue, two home games a season for the lesser clubs, which is a massive amount of money that's, uh, that is going to go out of the game. That's not being replaced by anything. And uh, what it's doing is, like I said, the, by eliminating the League Cup and the, uh, the Community Shield, uh, which enables, and the league would start a bit later, it wouldn't be as long because there's fewer games, it would allow the bigger clubs to have, well, all the clubs to have more pre-season friendlies, but the bigger clubs are the ones that are going to benefit from it. They're the ones that are going to be in these elite tournaments, whether it's the International Champions League competition, or whatever they call it, pre-season, where there's big money involved. They're going to play more lucrative pre-season friendly games. It's, it's a way that the big clubs are looking at opportunities to, to generate more income for their own game. All right, so let's have a look at some of these individual points there. So just while we're talking about the idea of getting rid of the League Cup and Community Shield, one thing that would be a positive, surely, is that as football fans, uh, every time we talk about when the Community Shield rolls around, what was the first thing we discussed on this, on this podcast when uh, we were going into the week, uh, heading into the Community Shield? It was, does anyone care? And the answer yeah. seems to be, no, not really. So that, that would be a positive step, right, for, for, for football fans who just don't care. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be a big loss. I really don't. I, I think the Community Shield, no, I don't think it's a big loss. I think you can do away with that. I, I'm also in favour uh, to a degree. You know, I, I, I think the, the domestic season definitely needs to be looked at. And the only way that you can reduce, well, they, they, they've, they've gone about reducing number of games. So they reduced the, play, the, the replay system in, in the League Cups. So that has reduced the number of games. They've also, during this COVID period of time, eliminated extra time and went straight to penalties. And I, and I think that's a very, very good thing to do as well. Um, whether or not you should allow the Premier League clubs, potentially, or even maybe the, Europe, the teams, the Premier League clubs that are involved in European competition to come in slightly later in the, into the EFL Cup. That may be an opportunity, you know, maybe an option. Um, as even with the FA Cup, maybe delay their, their introduction to the FA Cup slightly later. And, and I think that's definitely a positive. That could be a positive. Doing away with the League Cup altogether, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I played in the EFL Cup. I've had success in it. Um, and, you know, managers like Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, see the EFL Cup as a, as a, as a huge morale booster, as, as the first major trophy up for grabs at any, any given season and see there's a great opportunity to get that first trophy in the cabinet and it really sets, up, sets the tone for the remainder of the season for those clubs. And I'm sitting here, I'm just looking at my reflection as I sometimes do, Mark, uh, looking at myself with my crew Alexandra hat on and I'm thinking, well, that's the, that's the sad part for smaller clubs like that, that, that is so special when they, they get to make a great League Cup run. You know, how, how huge that is for those sort of clubs in particular. Like when you go to a crew, Alexandra, and you're having lunch before the game, and on the wall it's got, you know, on this date, uh, Liverpool came and played here at Gresty Road, and it's still remembered as the, you know, a great occasion. 
So that would be a really sad thing, you know, to see if those competitions were lost. What we're going to be careful about, we're going to be careful with greed. We can't allow the big, the big teams the, to, to run away with it. And yes, they, they are a big reason why the Premier League is also so, so interesting and so competitive and, and such an attraction worldwide. But one of the reasons there are so many big clubs is because of the Premier League. And one of the reasons why we see the emergence of smaller clubs, less, like the traditionally smaller clubs, like, a wall, like Wolves were, were, were successful back in the day. They were, they're a massive club in terms of fan base, but in terms of domestic success in the last probably 20 years or so, it's been few and far between. Everton, obviously in the 80s, won their last, I think, FA Cup in 1995, I think it was, um, which I got wrong last week. Um, but, I, edited, uh, I got rid of it, don't worry. Okay, good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, 1995, I think it was when they won, when they won the last FA Cup. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have... These clubs wouldn't be able to get to the level they are now. They would find it very difficult because you allow the big teams to, to run away with it. You allow them to generate more income to lift up the final fair play. If you allow them to, to have more of a say in the way that the league is run, they will, they will guide the league in such a way so that they benefit from it more so than everyone else. And the gap between the elite and the rest would become almost, almost um, impossible to breach. And financial fair play, they want to increase the revenue so that they can invest more, bring more players in, become a better team, therefore increasing the gap between them and the rest of the teams in the league. The reason the Premier League is so popular is because of the unpredictability of it. Because of the fact in 2016, a club like Leicester could win the Premier League title. That Everton are on top of the table right now. You know, uh, was it three from three? Four from four. Four from yeah, four. Four from four. And that wouldn't happen if you allow the elite to run the game. So then from a financial standpoint, which is quite clearly sort of the driving force in this big proposal... Um, the idea of parachute payments being scrapped. So if you're unfamiliar with parachute payments, if you are relegated from the Premier League, you'll be uh, helped out financially for the next three seasons, I believe. I think it lasts for, for three seasons. Um, two seasons. So what, what's the, what are the benefits here or, or, or how are clubs looking at the, the idea of, of that you know, not being a part of their plans? I understand, I understand the frustration with that, uh, with that rule. Um, more so because of a team that gets promoted one year and then the next year goes back down again. So they get promoted and they decide, like a Norwich, for example, right, we're not going to push ourselves out there. We're not going to exceed uh, any of our, our wage structures. We've got all this extra revenue, but we're not going, we're not going to spend it all. We're going we're to spend it, but we're going to use it in, in a different way, invest in our, in our club, the ground roots, whatever it is, in training facilities, which is fine. You, every club can do whatever they want with it. All they don't want to do is to, the clubs, get, they're already getting a major benefit from being promoted with that 100, 150 million uh, bonus for being in, in the league or automatically the payment they're getting for being in the Premier League. To then continue to, to, uh, to give them money once they are relegated after one season or even two seasons, I think should be scrapped. If it seems being in the Premier League for, say, either three... I don't know, I'm not quite sure in the, in the term, in the time frame. It's either three seasons minimum or five seasons minimum. I think then they should be receiving some sort of parachute payment. But a club 
to be relegated after one season or two seasons in the Premier League, I don't think they should be receiving any parachute payments. Interesting, because when we discussed this earlier, though, I, 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 didn't, I clearly didn't listen well enough. I thought you meant the other way around, because surely the longer that you're in the Premier League, you've got the opportunity to try and get your finances in order and save and be comfortable that when you are relegated that you then go, well, yeah, but we have been lucky enough to have five years in a row no, I just being protected. The longer you're in the league, the more you start from being in the Premier League, right? So the club is financially in a position where I think they're the most vulnerable if they are then relegated after the same periods in the Premier League. They haven't prepared themselves properly. Um, the, the relegation is completely unexpected. They have a bad, they have a bad year. They have a, a, a disastrous year, obviously. I think then there's, a, there's merit to give them some sort of parachute payments to try and ease their way back into it, to try and realign their finances for being... In a, in, a, in, a, in a lower league. Um, for a club to get promoted and then get relegated the very next season and then receive for a further two seasons parachute payments, I don't think they should. Okay, and then the last thing that we'll just dissect from the project big picture proposals, because um, there's, as we sort of discussed, a lot of behind the scenes financial deals going on, but the big one that would notice a difference is the idea of um, with the two bottom teams in the Premier League being relegated automatically with the 16th place team joining the championship playoffs. Now, that's, oh, uh, that's brilliant. I'm a big fan. I, I think it's a great idea. I absolutely agree with it. I mean, it's, done, it's been done in Germany. Um, I'm trying to think where else it gets done. It gets done in Spain, I think, does it? Mm, yeah, I think it is in Spain as well. Uh, I'm not sure in Italy, but I, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a great way of doing it. I think the, the bottom two should go down. The third one is in a playoff. And whether or not they join the playoff, or whether they play the winner of the playoffs. Okay. Just then, you'd be pretty stiff if you if you got to you know if you were trying to get into the Premier League, and then you had to play, and then you've lost that final. That'd be a bit. Yeah. Reshuffle it. The people you're well aware beforehand. Yes, traditionally, yeah, you win that that top four playoff. Sorry, that, that top six playoff. So the fourth to six playoff. Uh, sorry, the third to six playoff. You win that, and you get promoted as it is, stands right today. But then, actually, no, what actually happened is you end up playing off another game. I mean, the way it is anyway, to bring in that team, does that then mean that the top six gets reduced to top five? Yeah, I suppose it would have to. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not really sure. There's ways to, to work on that one. So you either, you either reduce it to top five, and uh, top two getting promoted automatically, and the third team is there and you've got the playoff, or whether it's a case of keeping it as a top six, those four teams from third to six playoff, and the winner of that plays the third place, uh, third last, well, third bottom place team yeah. from the Premier League. Maybe. That's, that's open for discussion, but I, I, the actual idea of having the third bottom team in the Premier League play in a playoff, I think is great. Plenty to, to think about. It's going to be fascinating to see how Project Big Picture um, rolls out, if it does roll out, but I'm sure we'll keep you up to date here on Two Shut Reds uh, as that story develops. But let's, uh, let's focus to the next set of Premier League fixtures that we can look forward to. There's some absolute ripping games on this weekend, Mark, because we have had an international break, which reminds me, I'll ask you this, as a fan, oh, geez, it's such a fizzer. As soon as it comes around, it's like, oh, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, here we go. But as a player, were you excited for it, obviously, like to be able to go and play for Australia? Or was it a momentum killer at the same time? No, no, I loved it. Really? I loved it. I 
just look at my, 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 my history. I played every single game that I could possibly play, and I wanted to play every game. So whether it was, you know, whether it was you were playing, and no disrespect, whether I was playing against the Solomon Islands in Solomon Islands, or whether I was playing, you know, Germany in Germany, I wanted to play in all the games. I didn't care. So it wasn't a momentum killer if you're doing well in the league, and you got to go, oh, now I've got to go on. No, it's an acceptance. You, you know, like, it's not like the international break just pops up out of nowhere. True. It's there. It's setting the stone. Everyone knows when the season, before the season begins. You know even the year before because the, the, the international fixtures are already set up. So you know, you know when the games are on. So no, no absolutely not. And, and playing international football, you, you have to get used to it. It's just, that's the nature of it. Um, and, and I loved it. I, I, even if you're on a high, you went into international break with an extra spring year step because you're off the back of doing so well domestically. And if you were strong domestically, you used the break to get away and clear your head a little bit and play, get together with another group of players that you had a bond with and you felt that as a team you, you, you could accomplish something special. And, and with the Soccer Roos, we did that. And then what about now, though, as a fan? Do you get the same sense when the international break comes around? Um, well, for me, it's a bit of a break. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're true. You're working on the Premier League. You're working on the different leagues, whether it's a Bundesliga, Premier League, um, European football. And then all of a sudden there's an international break and you go, oh, actually, you've got a bit of time off now, which is, which is kind of nice. Um, to recharge the batteries a little bit, you know, take your mind off football a little bit. But then saying that, you still find yourself watching football because you need to be up to, up to speed with stuff, yeah. particularly Euros next year. So, yeah, you see, it's a bit of both, but it's, it's, it's nice to, to, to have a bit of a break sometimes. You need a break. You've had it tough lately as well, oh, in particular. Oh, I, tell you what, I tell you what, you know, people talk about, uh, yeah. Definitely a break, you know, I've been working so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even get through the sentence. All right, well, let's, let's, put you to, let's get you to do some work then. Let's talk about Merseyside Derby. It's the early uh, kickoff, 12.30 uh, Greenwich Mean Time, I believe is 9.30. I think if I've done my maths correct there, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Unless, does daylight savings kick in uh, over well, here? I think it's the last weekend in October when the... When right. the uh, Things kicking, and it'll be Saturday night into Sunday morning, won't it? That's it. Yeah. So at the same time, I think you're pretty pretty confident in saying so. Now, this is a fascinating fixture in the sense that for someone who's got no allegiance to either side, um, I've got I've got the sense that this is a really hyped up Merseyside derby. Probably the first for like quite a quite a while. You've got the blue side on top of the table. Uh, which is brilliant. You've got the red side that are obviously still the dominant force, but probably have some things to prove this year after some of the performances we've seen. Yeah, you know what? Like, every time there's a Merseyside derby, it gets hyped up. It doesn't matter. I mean, the only, the, the only difference is over the last couple of years, it's been really kind of like, it's, it's so one-sided in so many ways. Uh, and when I say one-sided, not that the results necessarily have been that. They've been one-sided, but they haven't been as convincing as you may would expect. Because the derby always... You can almost throw, I, I'm going to contradict myself, you almost throw form out the window. However, the results have gone in the favour of Liverpool. Because on the weekend, will be 10 years to the day when Neverton last won a derby match. 10 you know, years. So, and, and it's kind of like, you know what? This is an unbelievable opportunity for Everton actually to, to change, change the swing of this, this, this game. And... I mean, listen, you can't underestimate Liverpool. There's no doubt about it. I mean, what a team they are and what a, what, you know, what a, what a, what a two years that they've had. Mm. Insane. 
and, and yes, you can have a bad day at the office. Like, Jesus was a horrendous day at the office against Villa, wasn't it? So how do they pick themselves up? Nabi may looks like he may be isolated when he gets back uh, uh, due to COVID. Um, Mane, is he back? We'll have to see. Uh, Thiago, is he back? Possibly as well. So, you know, for Liverpool, if Thiago's back, if Sam, uh, Mane is back, then obviously it, it, it's, it takes on a bit of a different, it takes on a different, definitely a different feel for Liverpool. Um, obviously, Alisson's not back, he's not fit. You've got either Adrian in goals, um, who you would think will be. How does he respond after the performance away at uh, Aston Villa? So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things that come into play here. But like I said earlier on, often form kind of goes out the window, except Liverpool normally win. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is why you need to work harder, Mark. Yeah, make out of that whatever you want. I don't know. In my head, I'm saying form goes out the window, but Liverpool still yeah. most of the time have over the last 10 years. So, I don't know. I tell you what I do know, I'm expecting goals as the form has been pretty much with every game that we've seen so far this season in the Premier League. But you get the sense right now with the mistakes that Liverpool's defence are making and with Adrian in goals and how just Everton's fourth half are clicking and the chemistry seems to be unbelievable. But then at the same time, with the form that Pickford's under currently, he could let in four or five goals. The question is, will Pickford play? So they signed Olsen from, from Roma on deadline. That is where he's international. So will he start instead of Pickford? That would be a big, that would be a massive call. Um, I, I think unlikely. I think Pickford's still got an opportunity to play. He played midweek for, for England in the win over Belgium. Um, did look shaky on crosses, which I think he always has looked shaky on crosses. Um, so we'll see. But I think he's, he's under severe pressure internationally as well as club. Uh, level and um, this is now when you'll see what he's made of because if he does play against Liverpool, not only is the pressure of the Merseyside derby, it's the pressure now of having another goalkeeper at the club who potentially could take his spot. I can't, but were you a little bit surprised that he's still starting for England in particular? Maybe not so Everton? I was surprised. I was surprised that he started against uh, Belgium. I I thought Nick Pope would continue after his performance. Uh, in the friendly game, um, so I, I thought you know played against Wales, played played well. I thought he would stay in goal. Another beauty uh, on Saturday uh, coming up is Man City and Arsenal. Now that is another fixture similar to when talking about Everton and Liverpool. Your gut and head says normally that this is going to be a pretty straightforward. I can't even be bothered watching it, but you get the sense that she's. I reckon certainly if if Party plays as well for Arsenal. Hopefully, we're in for a, a really interesting and, and entertaining game. Well, you say that as an Arsenal fan, don't you? I mean, I'm thinking... It's but it's true. Game. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's true. Come I, on. I was thinking it's going to be Man City win. You know, like, you know, Arsenal, yeah, they're a threat going forward. But, you know, yeah, I, I just see Man City winning this one. Yeah, I, I, totally. 
I'm not going to fight you on that, though. It's just how they're going to win. <laughs> how easy was it to bully you, Ben? That was the easiest. I'm the like, biggest target going. You went out there as, like, confident, excited yeah. about the game, and all I just went and said, nah, Man City, I'm going to win this one. He went, yeah, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, I'd like, I'd be oh, no good in Parliament, would I? Well, they'd be exactly perfect for Parliament. <laughs> oh, I like it. Two sharp reds gone political. I like it a lot. Uh, we'll save that for another episode. Um, but speaking of party, he was the signing when, when we finished recording on transfer deadline day. It was still, you got the sense that something was going to go over the line for Arsenal, but how, what, when and why um, was still a little unclear. Were you, um, what do you think of the way they went about the party deal? Because this is sort of Edu's first kind of, like, geez, he's really put a stamp down. Like, this is how we're, we, you know, we're not going to be pushed around. We're doing business. You, you're probably better to say that I am as an Arsenal fan. Is that I think I can imagine for Arsenal fans, it's a case of yeah, about time. You know, 45 million euros in, in, in this climate. Obviously, it's it's a lot of money in any any day, but let alone in this climate, right? So, I I was like a little bit taken back by it because I just thought, hang on, is this really Arsenal? What are they doing? That, that's not normal normal Arsenal proce- uh, procedure. Yeah. Um, they try and haggle, they try and mess about, and then ultimately they normally miss out on a player like that. Um, but instead they went, you know what, we need to get this deal done, we want him, this is the one, bang, we're doing it. And, and respect, you know, yeah. I, I think Arteta's changed a lot of things, Etu coming in, you know, obviously financially they are under pressure. Um, they've, left, they've left your favourite your favorite, uh, player go, haven't they? Yeah, well, didn't tell you long to bring that one up. Yeah. yeah, Ballon d'Or but, pending. But then, but then, you know what? You know, your mate Ozil's come in and said, you know what? I will pay for his wages. As long as I'm at the club, for, um, Mr. Dinosaur, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look after you. Oh, I thought you were talking about Emmy Martinez when you said my mate, my favourite. Oh, Mr. Dinosaur, the great Ganosaurus. Well, I was going to save that for, for half-time drinks, to be honest. Should Should I just call you half-time drinks? Yeah, a little bit. Should we, let's, let's blow the whistle now then. Okay. All right. Halftime drinks here on the two sharp reds. Um, when, again, when we were doing the last episode, do you remember we said that we were outraged by Gunnosaurus and we were trying to figure out what he needs to do? Should he go out on loan to Borumwood somewhere, get his confidence back up and maybe next season? And then we did say, I don't want to say we predicted it, but we did say, well, maybe Ozil should probably, come on, like maybe he should help out. And he's gone and he's given him a lifeline. But then why should Ozil help out? Why, why isn't, uh, you know, one of the other boys helped out? Okay. Why hasn't Aubameyang? I understand that there shouldn't be an expectation to do that, but... Yeah. He's the captain of the club. That really kind of, even saying, not him per se individually, why wouldn't Aubameyang as captain of the club go, you know what, as a group, we've decided we're going to put together and everyone's going to contribute, whatever they're going to contribute, and we're going to make sure that... Uh, Mr. Yeah, that's a good point. That would have been a better story than than Ozil doing it on his own. There have been other staff members from the club who have been laid off. Yeah. So why doing all of them? I mean, is it fifty people got laid off in the summer? Yeah. So where does where does it start? Where does it stop? And you feel for all of the people who have been let go. Gunnosaurus is just that little bit more high profile, and therefore. People want to talk about it a little bit more. Imagine being behind Gunnosaurus when talking about high profile. Geez, that'd hurt, wouldn't it? That a dinosaur, and you're like a physio that's been there for 20 years, you know, and is 
Absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the point. You know, I suppose whatever those kids involved, uh, going to is obviously uh, is huge. I mean, I remember my son, when, when my son was born and growing up at Middlesbrough, you know, they had Rory the Lion as the mascot. My son loved him. And I actually arranged a couple of times for him to come out to my son's birthday party. No, as a, as a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time he ever did it, he was at preschool. So all his preschool friends got a chance to spend some time with Rory the Lion as well. My son was loved him from afar, so up in the stands. Yeah. Saw Rory, infatuated with him, had the Rory toy, all that sort of stuff. And then he came to his preschool and he absolutely crapped himself. And he couldn't look at him. And it was like he was so shy and so scared of him. Um, but in the end, you know, he, 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 he came around and he loved it. Absolutely loved it. I've got photos, massive big photos of, of my son with Rory the Lion. Jeez, the kids would have loved that. What a oh, treat. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And you, were you not, you were surely in the costume, surely. No, I was there. I was there with, I didn't want to think that I'm actually Roar the Lion. That would really blow his mind, wouldn't it? Imagine that. You play and be Roar the Lion as well. How does that work? Your dad's just that good, mate. Your dad's <laughs> just that good. Hey, Mark, how are you enjoying your wine? Enjoying it, by the way? I've been called worse before up at Middlesbrough, so I'm not surprised. How are you enjoying the your uh, your red wine? How is it? I'm enjoying it, man. Very nice again. Um, I, I very rarely not enjoy a bottle of red wine. No, I know you've had moments uh, throughout the recording of these these uh, episodes of, of of the two sharp reds when you've not been happy with certain bottles of wine. I've, I have to say, I'm pretty easily pleased. Yeah, and are you? My selection process is just far better than yours. That could also be the case. I think there's a case to be made for a bit of column A and a bit of column B on that one. I totally yeah. agree. Experience plays a massive role in this, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and I, pa- I do. I panic and overthink and look. Yeah, you're right there. One thing that I do have my eyes on though is you know how I like the 19 crimes. Um, yes. There's now a, <laughs> a separate red wine, uh, a separate 19 crimes wine with Snoop Dogg on the cover, and Snoop Dogg has picked all these Californian grapes, and it's his own wine but it's a part of the 19 crimes family how good is that ridiculous you would love you are oh, you say that but you would love it you would see, love it i'm just going to um i'm, I'm going to make you jealous again even more is that this bottle of wine is perfect pairing with a roast rack of lamb mm-hmm. a beef stew or some firm cheeses how yeah. is that but that just feels a bit ridiculous like that's everything though it's just not. Lamb, beef stew, and firm cheeses. What do you mean that's everything? Okay, well, so as in, what else would you have with red wine? You've got you've got your nice meat there of that you know variety. Well, lamb, it's not beef. Yeah. Uh, it's some... I obviously beef stew, but that, that is but it's a stew, so it's very different to just having a big chunk of meat. Yep. Steak, for example. Yeah. But uh, then obviously your firm cheeses rather than your soft cheeses. Mm, mm. Well, and what's your favourite type of cheese? Just the way you said it there. My favourite. I mean, I do. I do like blue cheeses. I really yeah. do. Good blue. I do like soft, soft blue cheeses. Mm, that's a good call. I t- had a uh, um, a truffle camembert the other day. Oh, that was pretty good. I love truffle. I love truffle uh, oil. I love truffle and pasta. Um, cheese we're sophisticated, truffle. aren't we? We've. Uh, yeah, yeah, love it. So, uh, Mark, let's get back uh, stuck back into it. And, you know, halftime drinks came a little later. It was almost like actually 
maybe not halftime drinks, but last season when you'd have the drinks break, uh, sort of 65th minute, that's sort of what we're dealing with here. So it was a bit of a delayed halftime drinks. But there's one thing that we need to talk about to, to end this episode off, um, sort of away from the game, but it's free agent watch because there's still some big names that, uh, that are without a club. So I'm going to quickly run through a few of them and then we'll just dissect them closer, closely. But we've got Jack Wilshere, Danny, yeah. Danny Welbeck, uh, Nazri, the great man, don't forget about Nazri, and Mandzukic as well, still without a club. So if we start, where, where, who would you like to talk about there? Where do I start? Um, Danny Welbeck, I can kind of understand in, in some ways. But on the other hand, the only thing I can think of is maybe he's asking for too much money. I'm not really sure. Um, the COVID has been a big problem. But I would have thought, I mean, he obviously fancies himself still being in the Premier League. Listen, I think in a, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, maybe in a couple of months' time, two months, three months' time, sort of around that November, December time, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of clubs in the Premier League knocking on his door saying, you know what, do you fancy coming here? How are you looking? How's your fitness levels? Come in, we need a goal scorer. We need to get ourselves out of this little bit of a bother. Um, the problem with Danny Welbeck is his injury record. And that's his issue. So he's going to literally be on a pay-as-you-play. Pay um, and, and I can't see it working in any, any other way for him, really. Jack Walsh is the same, you know. I think that, that ship has kind of sailed... Um, to a large degree, particularly on the wages that he, were, that he was on. I think the way that he left West Ham, um, the time he had at West Ham, did him no favours again. Um, Bournemouth wasn't great for him. Everywhere he's been, he's really, really struggled. And it comes with a huge, huge uh, wage bill. You know, and I think the only way he's going to be able to go anywhere and do anything anywhere is go somewhere where he's going to have to take a lot less money. And it's kind of one of those ones that pays your play. Unless he goes, because he has talked about the idea of leaving England. Like, well, I'd be looking at joining Buddy into Miami. Why not? Well, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, listen, the only thing I'd say is people think it's a massive step down playing in the US, playing in Australia, right? And yes, um, the, the, the technical side of it, yes, definitely. I mean, I think, I think the MLS is, is, is in a higher level technically than it is uh, the A-League. Yep. But physically, they're both very similar. So to go to either of those leagues and think that you're going to just stroll in there and stroll around the pitch, I think you've got another thing coming to you. Because they're actually arguably even fitter. You know, they don't have as long as seasons. They train longer. They are incredibly fit because they have to make up for the lack of the, the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. So they, they make up on, on the physical aspect. Um, so Jack Walsh are going to somewhere like into, into Miami or even Australia, but not that I don't think anyone would be able to afford him in, in Australia. Um, I'd be surprised. And I'd be surprised if he did well if he went there. I think he needs to look at somewhere like... He had an opportunity, I think, to go to Italy before he signed for Bournemouth. And I thought it was really strange that he didn't go because I think Jack Walsh would fit in really, really well from a technical aspect, playing in some of I mean, I know he's talked about something like Spain. Um, I just don't... I mean, I think in Spain, other than the top four or five teams, there's no one who's going to pay anywhere near their amount of money he's earning or has earned at West Ham. Um, so it's going to have a huge pay cut and, uh, again, pays your play. Interesting rumours about him uh, linking up with Steven Gerrard at Rangers, but I thought he'd last about one game in the Scottish Premier League. Like, the way yeah. that's played. Imagine yeah, that. maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know what? It's probably an avenue that they're, they're looking at. Um, 
would he work? Again, physicality of the league, pace of the league. I watched Jack play in a League Cup game for, for West Ham, New, Newport County. And I, I was, you know, the, give him the ball, give him space, he could play a ball anywhere. Mm. And he, he was brilliant. Put him in a, in, a, in a confined area with players around him, little time on the ball, his pace has dropped off massively. He struggles to get around the, game, the ground, um, struggles to, to really get in, make an impact on, on when he doesn't have the ball. But if you, if you can afford a luxury player that's just going to find a pocket, get the ball, have runners, because he's not necessarily going to get past players. He hasn't got that pace anymore to get around players. His injuries have taken their toll on that aspect. But technically, he's still very, very good. So you, you've got to find the right club that have the right players around him to play in. So he can slot in there and he's a bit of a luxury player for you. So those are other two players in, in Nazri and Mandzukic. Uh, I mean, Mandzukic, 34. Um, Nazri, you feel, has seen it all, done it all. Is there really much more that he could deliver a club? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Nazri is one of those players that, you know, I think we saw his best at Arsenal, stroke going to Manchester City. And then there was a massive decline, wasn't there? And obviously being banned for, for a couple, I think, nine months, eight months, nine months, that, that derailed his, his, uh, his club career. And he's really struggled to find any, any kind of form of consistency since then. And obviously, I think his reputation has, has taken a battering for it. Um, who knows? I, I haven't seen enough of him to know whether or not he could still reproduce at that level, uh, at, at a high level. Um, Mandzukic is an interesting one. Um, because again, he's another player that I feel that could still give something. I think he's still got the ability uh, to help teams out. The big issue is always about pay, financial packages, you know, because I just don't know whether or not a big team, an elite club, uh, one of the top clubs around Europe, would have the space, the desire, the need to have a player like him in their squad. Because I don't see him as a regular. Well, United have done it with Cavani. Yeah, so Cavani's gone to, to Manchester United, like you said. Yeah, and he's, what, one year younger. Um, but I just feel that Cavani, I mean, I know he didn't play the back end of the season at PSG. He just, he looks a different player physically. He looks like a player that is incredibly lean, has looked after himself. Um, but again, obviously Manchester United have done their homework. They've done some, you know, he's done fitness tests. They've been able to monitor him and they've decided that he's still well in his, has well in his ability to, to play at a level at least play a part, whether he's a regular or whether he's someone who plays a part. Um, maybe, you know, you never know. Maybe, maybe it was a toss-up between Cavani and Mandukic. Who knows? Why not? Maybe get both of them in. That'd be a well, <laughs> Yeah. Imagine, imagine that, Mandukic and Cavani up front. Imagine that. Oh, just even if it's, just be a team sheet. Imagine how yeah. that, that doesn't last Imagine how your team sheet would look. You look back at it a couple of years ago, we had Cavani and Mandukic up front. Uh, it was 33 and passed it. And then you'd like to just be able to look at that team sheet, go up to the top corner where the date is and change it to 2012. And then you'd, yeah. be, really, you'd be thinking, yeah, here we go. You know who should sign Mandukic? Full. Full of need, Mandukic. Together, together, up front. Imagine that. With a big serve. Why not? I say. Let's go for it. Maybe we need to start a campaign. Absolutely. I like it. We'll get it. We'll get a hashtag running. Now, finally, um, I'm looking at my list here of free agents uh, that we need to to talk about. There's there's a bigger name out there than all of these guys. It really is. That's our man, friend of the show in some way. I mean, he's not been on, but we we like him. 
friend of the country. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of his work off the pitch as well. That's Jackson Irvine, still without a club. I am amazed. I'm amazed he's not found another home. What, what do you do? You know why? Is there a gut instinct? Why, why hasn't he found a club? It's weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a bit strange, isn't it? it really, is strange. Um, interesting time to, you know, it's typical. I feel for him, you know, because pre-COVID, I think he would have been in a great position, being out of the contract um, under normal circumstances. The world were were, were were normal, and we didn't have this whole COVID pandemic. I feel for these players that all became free agents during this period of time. Um, it's tough, you know, the likes of Cavani have taken up until what, a week or two ago to find a club, um, which in, in, in years gone by, I think we've been stuffed up, shown away. Yeah. Um, I feel for Jackson, you know, it's, 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 it must be a, a tough situation to be in. Um, and again, he, he may have to wait a little bit longer until clubs start to feel like either, you know, maybe things start to turn around a little bit, maybe fans start to get back to games soon. Um, maybe revenue uh, avenues start to, to come in a bit more, fans start to get back to games, um, and maybe you know, a club that's in a bit of bother uh, or maybe needs an extra play to try and give them a push uh, for, for a promotion, for a title, who knows? Um, and maybe Jackson will find a club somewhere. I just think he's got a lot to offer. Like, what we've seen during his four years at Hull, at one point there, he was vice captain, certainly within the, the leadership group. Um, I think, you know, we've also seen him be able to, to do some really good stuff at Swindon, I believe, before Hull. And so he's sort of proved it, uh, himself at different levels. And I'm just really shocked that, like, a, a good, solid, like a Nottingham Forest, say, like, you know, someone in the, in the championship that, that are maybe, you know, there or thereabouts. Maybe just badly advised. Who knows? I really don't know. Um, I don't know. It does surprise me that he hasn't found another club at the very least in the championship. All right, Mark. It's the time we've all been waiting for here on the Two Sharp Reds. It's time we... We discuss our wines uh, and compare it to a player, past or present. I've been, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I've been slightly undercooked the last few weeks. You've made your your thoughts known, um, pretty public. Um, you suggested maybe I, I look at going out on loan to a few other podcasts just to get some confidence up and come back, come back stronger and a more well rounded wine taster. But you obviously, you obviously haven't taken my advice. But you're still here. Yeah, true. But no, I'm here to earn my spot, mate. I'm here to earn my spot. I'm the kepper of the sharp red world. And is your issue just recently that you feel like what the way I've described the wine to the player hasn't necessarily been incorrect? It's just lacked the full picture. Is that right? Like it's lacked. Well, it's a combination of things. I think at times, yeah, you just look for an easy way out. You've done no real work into it, no real consideration. Um, you've given a pretty lame uh, an example or description of a player. Yep. Um, yeah, I just think you need to be a little bit more enthusiastic about it, a little bit more in-depth, uh, a little bit better prepared. Well, I feel very prepared this time around. Uh, in particular, you'll probably notice as well, that's why I got you to talk so much um, during the, the Project Big Picture chat. So I could really just, just let you go, talk at autopilot, and I'll uh, figure this out. So I've got someone that you, I think you'll be really impressed with. So I've gone for a specially selected Chile Pinot Noir uh, with Chilean uh, Noir grapes, cooled by the Pacific Ocean winds, give this elegant red at subtle textures with floral and violet notes, followed by red fruit aromas, strong and very bold. <clears throat> I'll just stretch before I deploy this. <laughs> this man 
was born in Santiago in Chile. Uh, and if you look on the map, we are right on the Pacific Ocean here. So he would have been cooled down by Pacific Ocean winds every day of his life growing up in Santiago. And speaking about cool winds, this man, he's the coolest that there is. He's a, a seriously cool operator. Uh, if you look at his back, floral tattoos from start to finish over across his entire back. He believes that, that you know, that he's got that floral aspect about him and so much so he needs to communicate that through ink and art. Uh, so he's got lots of floral notes. Uh, talking about strong and bold. Now, strong tackles is this guy's bread and butter. He's strong and physical the way he plays the game. But when talking about being bold, the statements he makes in press conferences, but the bold statements he makes on Twitter and some of the stuff he says to opposition players during a game, he is as bold as they come. And the final thing is that when I taste this wine, you know, normally the tannins, you'll either experience them on the tip of your tongue, the back of your throat, or the sides of your tongue, depending on what sort of wine it is. But with this Pinot, it's right through the middle. I've got nothing on the sides. It's almost, you could say my tongue is bald on the sides, but down the middle, there's a hot, fiery streak of flavour. And that's exactly what this great man's haircut is. He's got nothing on the sides except for a beautiful streak down the middle. It's, of course, a Turo Vidal. Now, if you think that that was a crap comparison, I don't know what to do here, because that was pretty good. Yes! Santa Claus. Standing ovation. <laughs> what did you think? That was all right. That was good. It obviously worked last week. My critique got I you just, fired up. Barely fired up. Yep. And you finally was something worthwhile. I'm here to prove my spot, Mark. I'm telling you. So I feel good about that. But now, obviously, the pressure's been put on. What have you got uh, for me? Uh, I love pressure. I love yeah. pressure. Listen so, to me. I love pressure. Uh, I'm, I'm still... I'm still, I'm still glowing from that. That's, that's like, yeah, that was, a, that was, it was almost it pumped us all up a little bit. It was like a pre-match pump up, wasn't it? Absolutely. So, okay. So my wine, it's a, it's a pretty complex wine. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's fruity. It's got, it's got big, juicy flavor packed, brimming with dark fruits. So it's, it's uh, because of the complexity, but it's got a smooth tannin aspect to it as well um it's got a long and elegant finish and this is something a player that i that i played with in the national team i played with him in club level um he was someone that went about his job very understated mm-hmm. but when he's, he's quite complex in his personality he technically a very very good finish a good player uh and could strike an amazing ball whether it was delivery into the box, whether it was a shot on goal, um, finishing from distance, scored one of the most important goals in Australia's history. And uh, he was a player that I always saw him as being incredibly elegant. Loved watching him play. Hardworking, but elegant, with a wonderful finish. And the goal I'm referring to is the goal in 2015, sorry, 2015, 2005 against Uruguay in, in stadium, ANZ Stadium in Australia, in Sydney, um, that got us the, the, the 1 0 win at home and led us to extra time and penalties. Um, 
to rewrite the history books in Australian football, uh, to help the game grow to the level that we'd all hoped one day it might do so. Um, and obviously got us back to our first World Cup in 32 years. And you're nodding your head and smiling. So yeah. obviously, what I'm talking about, it's none other than Mark Bresciano and, uh, and this, how I can compare my wine most with the player of his elegance, his style, yeah. his complexity, but what a player to have in your team. There's so much to unpack here. I will say, whilst I think it's a pretty pedestrian comparison for your standards, I think your delivery, that was the best you've delivered one. You were uh, pumped really? up by my, what I did and I was getting goosebumps almost, the way you were describing that. Often it's not about necessarily um, the, the wine itself. Uh, it's more about the comparison and how that wine makes you feel and how you yep. compare it to the player. Um, and obviously there is a sense of really goodwill feeling and, yep. and uh, excitement. And there's a special place, particularly in that group of players that helped, was part of that, that 2005 squad to help Australia get to the World Cup first time in 32 years. And uh, yeah, Mark Bresciano was a big part player in that. And a complex uh, individual, personality-wise. Yeah, a little bit. He's, he's pretty guarded. Okay. There's a complex wall, wall there behind that. Uh, there's a complex person behind that wall. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. The opposite of yeah. you, almost. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a real onion and you're just a, I don't know, a watermelon. So you're saying he's got layers. Yeah, absolutely. Surely. Right. That's, yeah. Whereas you've just sort of, you're a, you know, a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you just going to call me a potato. No, I would never say that. All right, Mark, it's time for you to do our outro here in the Two Sharp Reds. Please take it away. Yeah, well, again, we've run out of time. And uh, finally, finally... Ollie Gill, you have delivered in your comparisons with a wine, a bottle of wine and a player. I tip my hat off to you. I gave you my standing ovation. And the only way we can finish this episode is by a continuous of the applause. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.